It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I am joined today by the amazing Kevin Lowe. Can I call you amazing, Kevin? Um, I definitely, I'm not going to stop you. Okay, great. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. He is the creator and host of The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe, a podcast and blog that lets you see the world through the eyes of the blind. He is also the owner of Better Days Travel, a travel agency that aims to make dreams come true through bucket list vacations. Kevin continues to build a name for himself by the way he sees the world. He is completely blind. Guided by faith and inspired by life itself, Kevin has come to realize that God knew he would serve a greater purpose on earth without his sight than with it. Kevin has inspired and motivated so many people to live out their lives, no matter what obstacles may be standing in the way by simply sharing his life story. So thank you, Kevin, for being willing to share your life story with us today. I'm honored. Oh, well, certainly. Well, I'm I'm just uh, honored to, to be on your podcast. So thank you. Awesome. So tell me something about yourself that was not in the bio. Oh, my goodness. Well, I always like to say my my interesting fact um, is that even though I am blind, I can actually see through sound. Interesting. So, yes, yeah, so I developed this uh, about four years ago. And I had actually kind of started doing it um, on my own. I would be walking down the sidewalk um, going like, we call it sighted guide. And so that's where I'll have my cane in my right hand and I'll be holding onto someone's arm with my, with my left. And, but I, I would notice as we were walking down the front sidewalk of a shopping plaza, I could tell every time we were walking past like a column and and it was the echo from our footsteps that was bouncing off of the column. And I was interpreting that. Well, about this time, I discovered this man out in California named Brian Bushway. And he, at the time, was working with an organization training blind people all over the world to see through sound. And so literally, I traveled out to California and spent a week training one-on-one with this guy who's my age. Uh, he actually went blind, very similar to me um, as, as teenagers. And anyways, he developed this skill. He got trained in it, and now he's training others. And so basically, I have retrained the visual cortex of my brain to now interpret the echoes emitted to, to now form like acoustic images. That it's is very, so cool. Very high tech stuff is a lot of people like to compare me is to um, like there was the one movie, uh, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. He was like a blind superhero. It's kind of like what he used. So very cool. Yeah. So is it yeah. true that when you lose one sense that your other senses are heightened? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mine, mine definitely hearing even even without the whole like echolocation thing. 
And, and I don't think it's that it's like my hearing is any better than it was, but that's what I focus on. You're more tuned into it. Maybe. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, cool. and, then, and then, and then my other thing talking about census is I can't see and I can't smell. So, oh, really? Yeah. I lost my sense of smell at the same point when I lost my sight. So interesting. Does that affect your taste? Um, yes, it does. Now I can still taste, which is kind of, as I say, is nothing but a pure blessing from God because he knew, oh my goodness, Kevin cannot go without his taste. Um, yeah. <laughs> but my taste is not very keen. Like as far as if you were to hand me two bottles of Gatorade and not tell me what the flavor was, I probably couldn't tell you that that one was fruit punch versus strawberry watermelon. You know All what I right. mean? So, yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. Let's, let's go backwards just a little bit and tell me a little bit about what your faith background was like growing up. Yeah. So growing up, I, so my grandmother, and that would be my mom's, my mom's mom, who I call Nana and Nana has always been, she's kind of like the center of our family was, and still is. And Nana is really who growing up. I got my greatest influence from as far as is uh, is Jesus and and is faith and being a Christian um, because growing up you know my mom and dad and stuff we my mom tried to get us to to go to church but my dad did not grow up in a family where they went to church mm-hmm. and so he he didn't and so it I think it became kind of just this a battle that my mom you know just had to you know, she finally gave up on. Um, so I ended up though. And so, like I said, I go back to, to my Nana. That's where really my biggest influence came from growing up. And, um, and the biggest moment I remember was, was, uh, at a time I had entered middle school and my mom had always, my mom would always drop me off at school every morning. Well, come middle school, middle school started later. And so she had to start dropping me off at my Nana's house for Nana to take me to school so my mom could go on to work. Okay. And this at this point, I was in so the sixth grade. So I was like 12 years old. And Nana, she went to um, a Baptist church, and she signed up for this program called the Faith Program. Now, what this was was something about where they would get into groups and maybe once a month, and they would go visit different people's um, homes, you know, who are part of the church, who they had on a list to visit. And as part of it, you had to memorize this whole little uh, booklet that they had of all the, you know, speech and stuff you would give with the whole mission to hopefully bring somebody to know Jesus. And this, first off, this was way out of Nana's realm. She oh. says that, she, yeah, she even said, like, she remembers signing up that day at church, and she's like, Gail, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what did so, I get myself into? Exactly. And so, so every morning, me and her, before, uh, before taking me to school, we'd have a good bit of time. She'd make me breakfast, and and she'd always help me out, you know, quizzing me on my school subjects and stuff. And then... I would help her learn this material that she had to have memorized. And so every morning she'd sit over on the sofa, I'd be across the living room in the recliner 
And she'd have to recite to me, you know, the different sections of this little booklet that she has. Wow. And so we'd work on it. And of course, you know, I loved it. It was my opportunity. I finally got to be the teacher. And so it, it nothing thrilled me more than when Nana would mess up. And I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. Go back, Nan. You screwed up. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't helping nobody out when you're talking like that. So, <laughs> and so anyways, we had been doing this and I'm not sure how long it had been going until finally we got to the point where Nana had it down and she was doing really good. And probably about the last day we were going over it. I remember as she was talking, kind of the mood just kind of changed a little. Mm. And I realized at that moment that no longer was she just reciting it. She was actually talking to me. Wow. And by the time she had finished, I remember she had at that point had walked across the living room, had knelt down in front of me, had took my hands in hers. And with tears coming down my face and hers, I accepted Jesus right then as my Lord and Savior. Wow, that is a fantastic story. And who, who knew just, that her little Bible program would turn into that moment? Um, I'm a firm believer, and she is too, that everything in this life happens for a reason. And she will tell you to that to this day, that is why she signed up for that. that she is didn't cool. know it at the time, but that's why God had her sign up for that program. Wow, that is really cool. That is something. Yes. <laughs> So your life is really kind of partitioned in in two parts. There's kind of the before and after, and I'll let you explain that a little bit more, but tell us a little bit about what were your first 17 years of life like? What were your favorite activities? What did you like to do? Yeah, so I grew up um I grew up riding dirt bikes. Um I joke that I Got my first dirt bike for my fourth birthday. Um, I was small enough and it was little enough. It actually had training wheels on it. And so, cool. so while maybe, maybe some kids in the city were riding bicycles, I had a dirt bike. And um, even with the training wheels, though, I was so little. They, <laughs> My family tells me that whenever I wanted to stop, I would just jump off of it and it <laughs> crashed down. You know? And so that kind of like started this love of mine of, of dirt bikes. And it was something that me and my dad did together. And so I literally, from that day forward, I rode dirt bikes up until gosh, until the, the day when, when I went into surgery and, and, you know, became blind. Um, so dirt bikes, dirt bikes were huge for me, me and my dad, we would go camping. Uh, we had this favorite dirt bike camp over in the middle of Florida where we would go camping for like a week at a time and every time I remember, we, we'd pull into the place and it was like, I forget, like 4,000 acres of nothing but trails for dirt bikes and stuff. And I didn't even know said, there was such a thing as a dirt bike camp. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And so I remember every time we'd pull in, we'd be like, we're home. And so that was a big part of me. Another part was just a lot of things like outdoors as far as, um, you know, we would go boating a lot. My mom and my stepdad, we had boat and so we would go down to the florida keys a lot and we would go camping down there um a lot of stuff just outdoors and stuff um my 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 pride and joy of those uh first 17 years definitely became when i turned 16 mm -hmm. and that's when i got my my dream truck oh and what was that 
It was a uh, Forest Green 96 Ford F-150. Nice. And yeah, and so it was it was big. It was one of the uh the big rays that had like eight inches of lift, big 38-inch super swamper mud tires, had the Ooh. big like C- yeah, had like the big CB whip antenna. I was I was a good I was a good old uh, Ford of Redneck. As you a- had a bougie <laughs> truck. Yeah, that's right. As I like as I like to say, us uh us uh, a Florida, Florida rednecks. We had the big mud trucks within a surfboard in the bed of the truck. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So, so, so that was childhood. And, and I do have to say, I mean, I was blessed growing up in the fact that I got to do a lot and travel a lot um, and stuff. So I had, I had a really good childhood. I mean, it, it was, of course, I tend to look at positives in most situations and stuff. And I mean, you know, my parents they they did get a did get divorced when I was very young, when like the second grade. Um, and then my mom she would enter into a relationship with my stepfather, who was really not a very good man at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff. But um, but I mean, for the most part, if if I could sum it up, is yeah, I had a really good childhood. That's, that's tremendous. I'm happy that you get to say that. So you um, then had a diagnosis of brain tumors or were you diagnosed with that earlier on, or was this kind of a sudden onset later in your teen years? So this came about my junior year of high school. um, And I had had, I honestly had had health issues that had been plaguing me for basically my entire life. Um, starting with being a little kid, like only four or five years old. And I would have these horrendous headaches where I can remember, like I would just bang my head against the back of the sofa. Oh. And they, they ended up diagnosing me with cluster migraines. And so I had that. Um, I then also starting in kindergarten, I failed the eye exam at school. And so they, you know, had let my, my grandmother pick me up that day, let her know that I had failed the eye exam and, you know, that I, you know, needed to go to the eye doctor. And so that would begin, you know, years of, you know, starting to wear glasses, but there was that. Then it was all these different health issues up until coming to the point when I was uh, my junior year of high school, just turned 17 years old. I was still a little guy. I was still only five foot three. Mm. I had not gone through complete like puberty. I had not started growing. Um, as my as my mom always says, I drank more than any human you've ever seen. <laughs> in, in the fact, in the fact that like literally, I didn't know what a night's sleep was. In the fact that I literally would wake up every single night, or I mean every single hour of the night, go to the kitchen, get a drink of water, go back to bed. Oh, interesting. And so all of these things were leading up to the fact that finally, uh, right after the start of my junior year of high school, my my mom and my grandmother finally were to the point that, you know, they're like, something is wrong. We're not getting the answers from the pediatrician. He's got to go to a new doctor. And so they had finally waited. We had a change in some health insurance that finally went through. And I went to a new uh, family doctor who immediately put the pieces together that something was really, really bad wrong. Mm. And so he would pull my mom out into the hallway at the first appointment and tell her 
listen, I need you to get him. I need him to go to an endocrinologist as soon as possible. And so that honestly would start the ball rolling that just kept going faster and faster and faster. And yeah. we, we ended up finding out through an MRI that I had a craniopharyngioma, which was a very large brain tumor uh, positioned right in the crosshairs of my optic nerve. It had completely encased my pituitary gland and was pressing on my carotid artery. Wow. Um, it was, they compared it, they compared it in size to a plum. That's what I was just going to ask. How large yep, was it? Yep. Yep. It was, it was, it was about the size of a plum right in the center of my brain. And at the time that it was found, they literally said that I would have had, I had at most six months to live. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now it, it wasn't cancerous. Thank goodness. And so, um, so had it just been slow growing your whole life or was it something that came on later or do they know? Nope. They actually feel that it was probably something that happened um, as soon as, as I was developing. <laughs> and okay. one of those instances where like a cell went to the wrong place kind of thing. Okay. And so, yeah. And, and so literally it had it from birth. It, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so that's why my vision kept getting worse and worse was because it kept pressing on my optic nerves. That's why I wasn't growing. Because it was because on it your was, pituitary. Yeah, exactly. And so all those health issues I had, which now, I mean, once you realize that you could look it up in a book and realize I was a textbook example of a pituitary issue. Mm. And so there it was, but everything was cool. We found an hour away um, from our home over in Orlando, Florida, was the leading pediatric neurosurgeon in the country. And he, we went to him, and as scary as it all was, everything was going to be fine. He, he let us know. He's like, it's okay. We'll have this surgery. He said, Kevin will, you know, only be out of school for about three weeks. Everything's going to wow. be perfectly fine. So literally, and, and me with, with my, my good sense of humor, I mean, I had all kind of fun with it. For me, at that point, I knew, woohoo, I'm done with school for a while. And right. so, so you thought you were I, on vacation. Yep. So I remember going back to school, just being like, everybody was so mad, so jealous because I had dropped out of some honors classes, became an office aide, you know, and stuff for those last few weeks waiting for my surgery. Plus, I went ahead. I named my tumor. I named him Bob, 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 the tumor. <laughs> and, and so we literally we had a going away Bob party and, and everything. I mean, and so everything was going to be great. Everything was perfectly fine. Just a little speed bump, you know, in life. And um, we went into surgery. My surgery was October 28, 2003. And um, I remember it's kind of funny, the things that you can remember. And I can remember that morning, early, early that morning, I, I had to check into the hospital the day before surgery. That morning of surgery. So on October 28th, I remember Finally, the the surgeon, he had come in, checked with us, you know, everything was good, set. And so I remember being in the in the hospital bed and being wheeled back to the operating room. And 
I can still remember being pushed through the operating room doors and seeing my mom and dad who had walked with me who were right there by my my bed. And I remember saying bye to them and I love mm. you. And that was the last time I would ever see their faces again. Wow. And so at the, from that point forward, nothing, nothing went like we were told it was going to go. Um, I ended up being in the intensive care unit for, I think, two full weeks following surgery. Um, it was after, I think, only just a couple of days is when they realized that I couldn't see. Hmm. What was um, it that was going wrong that caused you to be in the ICU? So all types of my different levels with sodium, like my sodium levels and all these different things with like the endocrine system. So they said like, I don't, I don't remember any of the time in the hospital um, after that time when I said going through the operating room doors. Um, and so everything else has just been stories from my entire family who, who, you know, you know, relive that whole experience. And and I tell you, it's it's really surreal to have this very long period of your life to have no memory of whatsoever, yet it was the most traumatic, most crazy time for, for me and my entire family, yet I don't even remember it. Yeah. And and it it's it's really it can really be like upsetting to me because I like I'm somebody who family is everything to me. And so like literally it it hurts my heart to think like I couldn't be there for them. Right. They were you know? suffering and you couldn't do anything. Exactly. And um, but yeah, and so it was literally they had no idea, like I said, that I couldn't see until finally um they said I kept ripping off one of those little uh uh the little pulse ox thing that they like put on your finger. Right. Well, they, they had put it on like my toe and they said, said that the doctor was in the surgeon and he said, Kevin, he's like, do you see this light pointing to a little blinking light on that little pulse ox? And my mom was in the, in the room at that point, And she said, I said, no. And he, she said, the doctor looked at her. He's like, Kevin, you don't see this light. I said, no. And she said, at that point, the doctor walked over and he flicked on the, the light of the room. He's like, Kevin, do you see this light? She said, I said, no. Mm. And that's when they realized. And I don't oh, know if it that was, just makes my heart drop. And then I don't know if it was I don't know if it was at that point or later on. But like, I always remember my mom telling the story at one point where she had been with the with with the doctor with the neurosurgeon and she was in the hallway and she said she just fell to her knees mm. and it's just in my entire family was there and that's where when i tell you that i had a blessed childhood i had a blessed childhood for not only the things i got to do but for the family that was there with me and who is still there with me today and 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 i've said for two people who who got a divorce, you would never know it when 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 times are tough because I've always said the two families come together like there is no separation whatsoever. And so that's remarkable. 
Yeah. And so that's what my entire, I mean, my entire mom's side of the family would be at the hospital. The entire dad's side of the family was at the hospital, you know, as much as everyone could possibly be. And, and they literally had to take, take turns. They, they separated everybody off into shifts of people to go in and stay with me because I was requiring so much care. And um, otherwise the nurses and stuff would have had to put like straps and stuff on me to hold me down. And they, they didn't want that to happen. So how long were you in the hospital? Um, I finally came out of the hospital, I believe on November 12th. So, so literally, literally just about 15 days. Okay. I was in the hospital. Yep. So was there any talk of your blindness being temporary or did they know at that point that that was going to be a permanent condition? They kept thinking that it was going to come back. Um, to some degree, I think. Um, but to be honest, they were completely dumbfounded. My my neurosurgeon to this day, um, he still will tell you that he does not know why I cannot see. Okay. When they do MRIs, everything is intact. And and I've said a lot of people think it's very weird because I mean, a lot of people would would blame him for what happened, not me. That man is the biggest Christian, <laughs> and he is somebody who I can remember on all the multiple visits back to his office for follow-up, me and my mom would be in his office, and I can remember that man, somebody as big and mighty as, as the leading pediatric neurosurgeon, would sit in his office and cry with me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, to this day, to this day, I still am in contact with him. I email him every anniversary to tell him, thank you for saving my life. And, um, yeah. And he's that's just incredible. Yeah. Incredible that God, God brought somebody into your life. That was that combination of, of gifts and skills and spirituality. What exactly. a gift. Yeah, exactly. So you said to me that you feel like God used the first half of your life to prepare you for the next half. Explain that to me a little bit. Of course. So um, this is one of those things, again, where I feel so blessed that at my young age of of the, the ripe old age of 34, <laughs> of that that I can literally sit back and see how God's hands have been at work from the very beginning. And and I say that with the first 17 years preparing me for what was to come. And he did that in multiple ways. First off, he made me the person that I am. Mm-hmm. And he equipped me with characteristics like as a child, being ridiculously organized. One of my things that I would do for my mom all the time was rearrange the kitchen pantry. Because huh. it would get it would easily get out of whack. So I would take out all the canned goods, all the boxes, take everything out and put it all back in, rearranged all nicely. You Dude, know, I didn't need to come to my house. <laughs> yes, yeah. Now we, it, it seems to have kind of lost its magic a little bit as I've gotten older. Now I <laughs> you know what we can find the stuff. It's all right. <laughs> but um, but you know, and so in so very, very organized, um, always. The other thing, you know, growing up was that even I love, even though I love to do stuff, you know, outside growing up, riding dirt bikes and all that is I was never big into like working outside. Like my dad, you know, works doing heavy machinery and stuff. I was never one to, 
to really get out there and, and, you know, start, you know, doing wrenches and being, you know, working hard like that. And where that comes into play is that it saved my fingertips. Oh, because that we, we wouldn't realize that until I started to read Braille and you need the sensitivity of your fingertips for that. And then, and so I say these like little minor characteristics, but then also just the things that I got to experience. I mean, as a child, I got to travel. We traveled as a family, like I said, down to the Florida Keys so much. I got to do things like go, you know, diving for scallops in the in the Gulf of Mexico or going down to the Keys and, and going diving in the water for, for lobsters. Or, you know, or even we did like a family trip out to Alaska and drove all over Alaska and all these things that I got to see and experience snow skiing up in Snowshoe, West Virginia, all these different things that I got a chance to see. And then even the thing that I think probably annoyed and irritated my, my mom more than anything else was my uh, wonderful habit of jumping in between one thing to another. So it was always all of a sudden Kevin is he's now wants to a new skateboard. And so he's all into <laughs> skateboarding. Everything is skateboarding. And then a month later it's, you know, well now we're rollerblading or now we're surfing. So or, always up for a new and, challenge. And so, but at the same point, it was got he let me experience a little piece of all kinds of things. Because he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. He knew it. And and even, and I'll even show you this point even a step further, is that my sister, my sister Tiffany, she's five years older than me. And I grew up with her and my cousin, Josh, who is my sister's same age. And Josh was my best friend growing up. To the point that I didn't actually really like the kids I went to school with at my same age until I was <laughs> in high school, because up until then, they were just too immature okay. because I, I grew up hanging around my sister and my cousin Josh and their friends who are five years older. And so my sister, I can remember being in in um, like fifth grade, sixth grade. And I remember going with my sister. I would go with her to all the high school parties. And, and here I am, her little brother and all the, I'd be at the high school parties and, and she'd take me, I'd go to all the high school football games. And, and that was while she was in like her junior and senior year. And so. Wow. That's be, remarkable that she wanted you with her. Yeah. And, and, and she always laughed because if she ever went to parties and didn't bring me, everybody's like, why didn't you bring Kevin? Why isn't Kevin here? <laughs> <laughs> and, but. That I got to experience basically the junior and senior year stuff by hanging out with my sister. Because then when I got to that point, I wouldn't get to do any of that. Mm. And so, again, God's hands were just always at work preparing me for what was to come. Was there a season where you d didn't feel like or didn't... um it felt like your faith was, was caving because of all of this, or did, did that transition happen more smoothly than I can, than I imagine? Like, like referring to like, after I went to your blind. faith. Yeah. After you went blind. <laughs> to be honest, no. And I always say that 
after what happened to me, my faith only got stronger. Now, I will tell you that I have had moments when I have gotten very angry at God, where I have laid in my bed and and cried and sobbed and have yelled at him. But this is how strong my faith is in my relationship with God, is that any time that I have ever gotten so angry and I have yelled at him, and I have told him what I thought. At the end of it, I always ended every single time laying there crying, asking him to forgive me. Mm. And I can always remember, I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't mean it. I can't do this without you. Don't, don't, don't be mad at me. Don't leave me. I, I promise I, I, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's amazing when you realize that you worship a God who's, who's big enough, whose shoulders are big enough to handle, handle our moments like that, isn't it? It is absolutely. And, and, and for myself, I have to believe that in those moments, I have to believe that God is right there crying with me. Yes. Yes. You know, the, the Jesuits have a concept of God that says, uh, God, wa- God is the God who walks with us rather than, you know, being this, being this, uh, puppet master. He's a God who just walks with us. And I understand that kind of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've turned your blindness into a personal mission to encourage others through your podcast and through your life. Uh, how do you, how, how, what avenues are you doing that through? It said you have a podcast, so it's called the lowdown and are you blogging or what else are you doing? Yeah. So I am. Yep. So I have the, the podcast and blog. They kind of are, uh, coincide together. Um, okay. And both as, you know, is called the lowdown with Kevin Lowe. And, um, and yeah, and so I, I have that, you know, in addition, I started my travel agency back in 2013. Yeah. How did you get into, into travel? Yeah. So basically I had been, so after high school, so, so I went blind, that all happened my junior year of high school. Um, I ended up, I never went back to school the rest of my junior year. I instead had a thing they call hospital homebound. Okay. And so, so I had a teacher who came to the house and taught me my school subject. And then another one who came and taught me how to read Braille, how to start using a computer with a talking software called JAWS and all this different stuff. And then I had another teacher who was my mobility teacher who taught me how to use the cane to get around. And so I had all of that going for me. And then I was able though miraculously to catch up with my schoolwork in time to get back to start my senior year of high school. And so I was able to end up graduating with my class. And um, fantastic. Which, yeah, which that was just huge for me. And um, and so anyway, so after high school though, I I tried, I tried the whole college thing. I, to be honest, school wasn't my thing before I went blind. And now <laughs> after, after going blind and now it's more challenging and I've got to rely on an aide to be there to help me out. It just totally sealed the deal that, yep, college ain't for me. <laughs> and so I ended up um, for, gosh, for quite a long time, you know, just surviving to be honest um Mm -hmm. i did a lot of different programs that that we again another blessing something we never even realized was right in the the very city where we live is a massive section near our our local community college that's all these blind services Mm 
There's Division of Blind Services. There's Center for the Visually Impaired. There's the Lions Club. All these places that had no idea even existed. And so it was through them that finally I had um, been taking some several different classes there, learning different things like Braille and and whatnot. And um, I had signed up for they had a job readiness program. And the reason I signed up for the job readiness program was I said, they told me that if I went through their program, that then they would set me up with an internship at, at a business that, you know, correlated to what I was interested in. So I went through the job readiness program, which <laughs> I always would joke when my grandmother would drop me off and be like, all right, Nan, I'll see you later. I'm headed to blind daycare. It was, to- <laughs> it was, it was, it was so ridiculously stupid. It was just like, oh my guys, come on! I know how to do all this stuff. I learned all this in middle school. Like, right, yeah. right. So, so, but I, I put in my time, put in my eight weeks, and finally, finally got the internship. And um, and so the two areas of focus I had were one was travel two was radio. And so they ended up setting me up with an internship. One was at a local AM radio station as a WNDB AM 1150, where I worked on the morning drive radio show. I worked there three days a week, did that for goodness, probably six months. Uh-huh. And then, and then I also got an internship at a local travel agency where I would go in there and work and started learning, you know, what that whole business was all about. And both of the, both jobs I loved radio, absolutely loved it. Um, I said, if, if they had a position, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. Um, so they didn't, the travel agency I was working at, they actually learned a valuable lesson um, with that travel agency in that I was basically told at the end, you know, it was kind of, they didn't have any positions for me or whatnot. I would come to find out later through my own kind of putting pieces together that I feel like it was a case of, um, I think they felt my possibilities were limited being blind. Uh. So a little discriminatory, possibly. I, I think I think so. And and I don't even think and I and I hate to even say it because they are the nicest people in the world, but I just feel like they they didn't utilize me to the to my fullest, you know, capabilities to realize. So at that point I was kind of stuck, like, okay, what do I do? And so I finally, my sister was the one through research found out about this idea of me opening my own travel agency. And, and that's what I did. So I have a, they call it a home-based travel agent and which is a huge sector now in the travel, travel agency industry. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I opened better days travel um, in January of 2013. And, um, and that, and like I said, in the, the travel thing was derived out of a love for travel because traveling was something that I, Love doing, you know, growing up. And then it's something that even after becoming blind, it's something that is something that's just a pure passion of mine. And I can't tell you how many times traveling, a lot of times it's happened when we've, we've been on cruises where people will come up to 
for, for some reason, a lot of people think when you're blind, they can't talk to you. They got to talk to whoever you're with. And so, <laughs> and so they'll come up to like my mom or my sister, whoever I'm with on the cruise. And they'll be like, oh my goodness. It's so wonderful that you guys bring him on a cruise. Oh my goodness. And, and of course, at that moment, I'm standing there rolling my eyes like, Yep, I know. I was lucky they unlocked the cage. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but but traveling is one of those things. And and that's where, you know, people though, it makes sense in a way because people get so caught up. We all do. Sight is so huge in our world. And so traveling, and that's what I realized was that I can still enjoy traveling. I can still enjoy places. Not based on what it looks like, but what it feels like, what the Absolutely. experience yeah. is. And and so and so that is what I brought into my travel uh travel agency and really, you know, kept developing. Um uh, for a long time I tried to hide the fact that I was blind when people would call me, but now I don't. That's what makes me the travel agent that I am, is that I do see the world through blind eyes, through a different mm-hmm. way. And, um, so yeah, so I started that and, um, and just, uh, yeah, have loved it, but That's obviously, amazing. yeah. And then of course, you know, 2020 happened and, uh, that, uh, travel agency took a, a really hard hit, but as with, you know, any doors that close, God makes a way and that let me, that led me into then starting my podcast. Incredible. So, so has business picked up with travel agency? Are we starting to see an upswing? It is. Yes. Tremendously. Yes. Good. Everybody's ready to get out and about. <laughs> they are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We are, we are all tired of being at home. So yeah, definitely. Well, I have one last question for you. What do you most want people to get out of your life story? My biggest thing is that I want people to realize a couple of things. And the first and foremost is, is that a lot of people will say to me is, oh my gosh, Kevin, like, I don't understand how you do it. And I, and, and, and people will even say, you know, there's no way I, I could handle it. And I want people to realize you never know what you're capable of until you're thrown into it. Right. And so don't, don't think that you're not capable of doing of handling it because you are. The other thing I want to tell people is, is that I developed a, a motto early on and that was, I call it my, my uh, equation uh, for, for life, my equation to live by. And that is uh faith plus family equals a life worth living. And that equation is something that I've held on to very strongly um, in that those are my two pillars that I equate to, to my success, because there's been really hard times in my life since going blind times early on when I honestly wished I could have killed myself, Mm -hmm. but I didn't because I had my faith. My faith is, is how I did it. And my family is why I did it. Wow. And so, so I just, anybody listening, I just, every, every one of us goes through hard stuff Maybe it's not as is noticeable and as dramatic as is you know going blind, but every person we all go through hard stuff, and what you're going through is nothing less than what I've gone through, and so that's what I always tell people is everybody's everybody's you know 
dealings, things happening in their life are big to them. And so, so don't right. let my situation, you know, seem bigger than yours. Mm. Well, thank you. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, again, the podcast is The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe. Check it out. You can find him on Instagram and do the same handle. And Kevin, thank you for the honor of sharing your life perspective. And I'm so encouraged talking to you. Oh, well, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. To contact Jill, email Jill at JillRiley.org.